0: Well, we are in the book of Hebrews still. We will be there for a little while longer. And officially, I have on the screen tonight that we're in Hebrews chapter five, but we are actually kind of in a little bit of four. We're on the last section of chapter four, and then we're going to go on into chapter five. So we're looking at the book of Hebrews. I've nicknamed the series. Uh, it is simply that Hebrews uh, Jesus is greater. The entire book is written to the the Jewish congregation, and he is exalting Jesus, who Jesus is, that he is the fulfillment. He is the ultimate apostle, the ultimate prophet. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Abraham. He is indeed the son of God. And tonight we're going to get into the fact that he is actually the great high priest, greater than any other priest. So let's catch up just a little bit. If we look back at chapter 4, we see in verse 1, I'll read just a moment of it there. Oh, and Tyler, if I could have a little bit more light behind me, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, Verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it for good news. Verse 2, came to us just as it did to them. But the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. And we'll pause right there. That's a good summary of last week's sermon that there is, he is writing to a group of people who are supposedly believers. But with any group, with any church, any congregation, we cannot assume with 100% infallibility or, or accuracy that every single person who is hearing what he is writing to them or within the church doors on their way to heaven. And he was using the example of those that came out of Egypt, but they were still in unbelief, and they did not get to enter the promised land, and they fell short. And later on in the Hebrews there, in that chapter, he he encourages us to come alongside those who are around us and to check on them, to make sure that they have true belief, to make sure they are not rooted in false belief. Not that you can lose your salvation. That's not what Hebrews is talking about here, but is to check your salvation and make sure the center of your salvation is Christ and is Him and His atoning work on the cross. All right, so let's move on to chapter 4. We're at the end of chapter 4. We're going to begin with chapter 4, verse 14. I'll read this section, then we'll look back through. Uh, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest Here we see the second time that Jesus is actually given this title and mentioned as the ultimate high priest. We saw it just earlier in chapter 2, verse 17, where he says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now, again, we have to remember, we have to kind of, Think like a Jew here as far as their culture and all that they knew, the temple worship, the temple sacrifice, the priestly system, uh, words like the Aaronic priesthood, Levitical priesthood. We're going to start getting into that some tonight, and we'll get into that later in a few weeks as well. But kind of what he was talking about here. And we think of priests, what is a high priest? Oftentimes, if we're not, uh, if we don't know the Old Testament really well, this kind of kind of passes right by us when we read it. But to call Jesus the great high priest is a huge title in the Jewish eyes because they understood what the high priest was. The high priest was called by God. Uh, the first high priest was Aaron. And then we understand how, how God gave the instructions to build the tabernacle, to build the holy place, to have the Holy of Holies that's back in the back of the holy place. What was in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of Covenant, Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and there was the presence of God. And that once a year and once a year only, the high priest was allowed after all the rituals and everything that God commanded him to do to atone for his sin and to cover his sin, that he was allowed to sacrifice and represent the people. And then he could take the blood and enter into the Holy of Holies. But even then, still with incense burning uh, to 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 mask the presence of God from him to, to cover his sin, he was able to once a year and once a year only to enter there into the presence of God and to cast the blood, the sacrifice, on the mercy seat. So this is the role of the high priest. They all were fully aware of the role of the high priest. And here, in chapter 4, verse 14, and previously in chapter 2, we see the same thing. Since now we have the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This is huge. Now we have the Aaronic priesthood. You don't have to look this up right now, but... But we have Aaron who was called by God to be a priest. That's over in Exodus chapter 28. And that is the first priest that we have. Later on, we have the call of the Levitical tribe where God commands this specific tribe will serve him as priest and no one else can. But now in this passage, he is saying that Jesus is the great high priest. Now, what we see as we study the Old Testament is that it? It, it is th- just many, many arrows that are pointing forward at the ultimate one that is to come. And we see what's called types and shadows or types and fulfillment of them uh, later on. We have prophecies, of course, that point forward to the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming Savior, the one that will forgive sins. All right? Those are direct prophecies, and Jesus comes and fulfills those. But also in the Old Testament, we have whole systems. And whole processes that point forward to the coming Savior. And one of them is the role of the high priest. That his role was to point forward to the ultimate one that would come, who is the indeed great high priest. And this is what the author of Hebrews is saying here, that this is the one. All the others who were priests were just shadows. They were types of the ultimate one that has now come. So we have the great high priest. And if you look at verse 14, uh, he has passed through the heavens. This is not just the earthly tabernacle and going into the holy place and on into the holy of holies into a, a small manifestation presence of God, but that Jesus, our great high priest, has actually entered into the heavens, the ultimate throne room of God with all of His majesty. This is why He is the greater high priest. He's not just going into kind of, you might call it the replica of what the real thing is in heaven, but He has passed on all the way through and is in the throne room of God. So He is the great high priest and accomplished more than any earthly priest possibly could. Let's look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, again, this is a major point here. Uh, Jesus is without sin. He had never sinned. He had never done anything wrong at all. We, all humanity, since the fall of Adam, we are born onto this world sinners we are born sinful and the older we get the more we actively do engage in sin but we're born guilty we're born sinners not so with jesus and never did he sin not even once god says he knows our every every thought our every action our every word he even knows the words before they come out of our mouth and yet jesus was absolutely perfect jesus was absolutely righteous now not so all the other priests who came before, they were humans. They were called out by God to serve him, but they were sinners. And we'll see later on that they had to sacrifice for their sins before they could sacrifice and represent the people that they were sacrificing for to come back into the presence of God. So now verse 15, he says that, that we have a high priest Uh, who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we obviously know that Jesus never did sin. He is truly the spotless lamb of God, without blemish, without taint. He is 100% righteous. He is God. He is also man as well and represents us perfectly. But also here, the the point of this passage that he is making is that he is able indeed to sympathize with us. He he knows everything about us. He has lived as one of us. So he is sympathetic towards us. Oftentimes, and, and as he's writing to a Jewish congregation, they can go see, even still at this time, the temple. They can still go see the holy place. They can still go see that there is a curtain where the Holy of Holies is back in the back. Uh, not that God's presence was in, in any, no, any there any longer, though. But they could go see the high priest. And they were prone to go back to that system. And here the author of Hebrews is warning them, listen, don't go back. That system is done. It is dead. It has been fulfilled in the ultimate high priest. And he's kind of putting himself in their shoes that... Well, that, that's too lofty. That's too big. I can go right over here. I know who the high priest is. I can go talk to him. But he's saying, no, 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 no. You, he might be able to relate to you. But the ultimate high priest absolutely can still relate to you. He is sympathetic towards you. He has lived as us. He knows you better than anyone can. He knows you better than that high priest. Indeed. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is huge. And we could easily look over this passage, but you have to remember the context it's written in Uh, that for the typical Jew, uh, they were not allowed into the tabernacle, into the temple at all. They could not go in there to the holy place, to the holy of holies or anything like that. You had the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron and his immediate Uh, sons that were allowed to do such a thing. The Levites, uh, priests were chosen from this particular tribe, but the other tribes, no way. They were not allowed to enter into the temple. They were not allowed to enter into the tabernacle that Moses constructed. Uh, They were on the outsides and that these priests would represent them. They would do all the sacrifices that finally the ultimate high priest of their day would go in once a year for that day of atonement and present the blood there on the mercy seat. But what is he saying now in verse 16? Uh, He's saying, let us then, us, you and me, uh, the, the Jews he's writing to and also us right here in this room, let us now, not just the high priest that was doing this, but let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What has been accomplished here, and we're going to look at this. How can a sinful person go boldly to the throne of God? Let your mind wrap around that for a moment. How can a sinful person go boldly to the throne of God? I mean, we are sinners. I think of Isaiah chapter 6, where he where he sees God, the presence of God, and sees his glory and Isaiah just falls to the ground. He says he's coming undone. He's coming apart at the seams because God is holy. And Isaiah is calling his own sin out. He says, I am a sinner. And here is God who is holy. And that's what we would do if we were ever to see the presence of God or his presence was manifest amongst us. But how can we go there boldly? What, what has changed? What has changed is the ultimate high priest has come. And he has represented us. So the whole point of a priest in the Old Testament was to have one who represented the other tribes, who represented all of these people. And he would follow God's rules exactly as God had instructed them to be followed. He would present the sacrifice for them. He would do all the cleansing rituals and he would then present the sacrifice on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Now we have the ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ himself, who represents us perfectly, who is sinless, who enters into the ultimate uh, presence of God. He's gone into the heavens, not just this earthly temple that they could still see in Jerusalem that was still there, but he's gone into the ultimate throne room before God the Father, and he has paid the price, he's brought the sacrifice. So now we get to go with him. He represents us. So this is beautiful. He's telling them we now can go boldly into the throne room of God. People were scared. If they look back at the Old Testament, uh, you remember even as they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant one time, uh, the wrong person actually reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant from a tribe that was not allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And what happened to him? immediately fell dead on the spot, right? Because he did not follow the orders that God had given him. So there was this fear of God and his presence and his holiness. But now the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, go. We can approach him boldly now because we have the perfect priest who has represented us absolutely perfectly. So we have no fear. Those who have truly believed and have truly put their faith in Christ we have no fear of going directly to God. We can pray to Him. We can talk to Him. We can get strength as we face temptations, as we face sin. And also, as we looked at Hebrews just a couple of chapters ago, there's no fear even, even of death because we now know that we have mercy. We've received mercy through Jesus Christ, our high priest who has represented us, who has made the absolute perfect sacrifice and brought us into the presence of God and ultimately and fully into the presence of God as well. Uh, Question, why were there still priests after Jesus had fulfilled the great high priest role? Think about that just for a moment. All right, Jesus came, and the author of Hebrews is saying he has fulfilled the high priest role. It is over, it is done. But yet, if you think about it, who actually put Jesus to death? Was it not the high priest of the day? Right. It was Annas and it was Caiaphas. And, and they, they actually put him to death that the earthly high priest rejected the great high priest. They didn't like him at all because the great high priest was coming and he was going to take away their power, take away their prestige, and they put him to death. So why, why did they continue this? I mean, they rejected him fully. And even still, after he had fulfilled everything, after he had presented the sacrifice, after he took the sins on himself after he died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Over 500 people witnessed this. He has fulfilled everything. There's nothing yet left for him to fulfill. It's all there. He is the great high priest. He's presented the perfect sacrifice, but they keep on with the system. And and the answer to the question is, it beats me. I do not know. There there is absolutely no reason that anyone uh, should have continued this process out. Even if you look at Jesus, and we'll look at this in the later weeks, He fulfills the role of the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He is the role of the priest. He fulfills it perfectly as well. Even he is the curtain that is ripped upon his death, that his body that represents man and God as the curtain did uh, where the Holy of Holies was, God on this side, man on that side, that is Jesus. And upon his death, that curtain rips and it's no more. Now we have direct access to God. So there was absolutely no reason for this to continue on, yet it did. And because it did, it was an absolute and utter rejection of God's ultimate plan of salvation. God had delivered the gospel. He had fulfilled it fully in Jesus Christ. All signs, all arrows are pointing to him. Yet the tradition that was in place said, no, we like the system that we had. And they stuck to it. Uh, another question that i pose tonight is simply this. Why are there still priests operating in the Roman Catholic Church today? And the reasoning would follow as well that there simply is no need for any human to be operating in that capacity. We do not go to a man, a mediator in between us and God now. There is no one that we go to that is between us and God. Jesus has accomplished all of that. So now we go directly to the throne of God. He's represented us perfectly. We go directly to the mercy seat ourselves because He has gained access for us. All right, Uh, who is your mediator? Who goes between you and God to represent you? Think about that for a moment. This is huge. It it, it is God Himself. It is God the Son. He is our middleman. He is our mediator. He has accomplished everything in a fuller and greater way that the Old Testament Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood tried to do, but were, were incomplete because they were sinners. Christ is our priest. Jesus himself, God the Son, is our, you might say, middle man that brings us into the presence of God. And when we get our mind around that, a wonderful peace that, that just takes over your soul, realizing that our representative is not just a man, but it is God himself. It is God the Son. And that's what the author is trying to get across to these people. And again, they could still see the temple. They could still see the high priest. They could still see that this operation was still going on and there was something inside of them. that This was tangible. They could see it. They wanted to kind of go back to that. But he's saying, no, 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 no. That, that, that high priest is done. You have the high priest now. God himself has sent his Son to represent you. Now you go. You go directly to the throne of God. All right, let's read on and uh, get into chapter five, and we'll complete this section of chapter five tonight. We'll read. Uh, let's read verse one through four, and then we'll go back. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. All right, let's pause for a moment and look at this description. Let's look at this, this, these points of comparison and contrast between the earthly priest and the greater priest. Priest, the greater high priest. Alright. So if we look back at verse one, and we'll kind of take this point by point. He says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed. Alright? So the high priest was chosen from men, and Jesus was also chosen from men. They were appointed by God. So Jesus called God called Aaron, Moses' brother, to be a priest. He later then calls the tribe of the Levites to be priest as well. It's a specific calling. Other tribes could not step up and be the priest. Uh, No one else could step up on their own to say, I think I want to be priest now. All right. So also it is with the ultimate high priest that he is he is called by God and he is also though a man. He is fully man. We look at John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, Uh, meaning that this word is, of course, God and was with God. John one fourteen and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So we have this ultimate one who is coming from heaven to earth, who is God and man, making him the greater representative, the greater high priest. Point number two here. Let's look to act in verse one, to act on behalf of men in relation to God. The high priest was to represent others to God and Jesus represents us before God. Uh the high priest <clears throat> um uh, had to wear uh the, the these clothing that, that were that were extremely significant, extremely symbolic and they had the tribes of Israel, even on their shoulders and different stones that represented the tribes of Israel. So the high priest represented the people as he went into the presence of God. He wasn't just going in as himself, but he was representing these back here. And so it is with Jesus Christ that he represents us and takes us into the presence of God. That's why there is no other way to heaven. There's no other way to the presence of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, he is the high priest, the only one that can go behind the curtain for us. We look at Romans 5, 19. I believe we have it up there tonight. It says, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Again, this representation that we have with Jesus, that he makes us righteous and brings us into the presence of God. All right. Uh, third point of comparison here is still in verse one of chapter five to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This was the role of the earthly high priest. This is primarily what he did was to offer gifts and sacrifices to God for sin, to make atonement for for the sins of the people. If we see in John one twenty nine, the, the famous uh, announcement. Of the messenger John the Baptist. As Jesus is coming. He simply says. Uh, Behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. That ultimate announcement. By John the Baptist. Is again one of these things. That brings forward the Old Testament Lamb. That was sacrificed on Passover. Uh, the, the animals that were sacrificed in the past to atone for sins, just 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 temporarily atone to pay for the sin, to show how bad the sin was. But now we have the ultimate one, the Lamb provided by God Himself. So our High Priest, what does He take? What does He take with Him to offer God as a sacrifice? He takes the most perfect thing there is, which is Himself. Right? He takes Himself. He is the sacrifice that He sacrifices to. Bring us forgiveness to cover, to atone for our sins. Uh, Number four here, the high priest could relate to those he represents. Verse two, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself uh, is beset with weakness. Again, the main point here is that a high priest could relate to those he is representing. Uh, Jesus lived as a man and was extremely sympathetic to the needs of others. If you think about his life and through the Gospels and how it is recorded, he is extremely sympathetic. He can relate to the weaknesses of humanity. They can look back and recall this, and they can see this uh, the the blind healing of the blind, healing of those that were lame, healing of those who were leprous, uh, raising people back to life who have been who have been dead. you look at Lazarus and as he 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 literally cries. He weeps, right? As Lazarus is dead and he sees the people mourning behind him and he cries with them. So it's not that Jesus, as we talk to him, our high priest, that we think that he is beyond talking to or he cannot relate to us. But the author here is saying, no, no, no. Yes, he is God, but he is also man and he knows us better than we know ourselves and he can relate to us and we saw him relate to us. This is our high priest. Uh, no, point number five here on the comparison. Let's see. Look at verse three. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. This is definitely a point of contrast. Earthly priests were sinful and imperfect. They had to do, make sacrifices to atone for their sins. Uh, Christ is the greater high priest because he had no sins to atone for. He paid for ours directly. Uh Let's look at, uh, for, I believe it's on the screen again, Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes on our sin. He doesn't get punished for his sin. He gets the punishment on the cross for our sin. And what do we get according to this verse? We get his righteousness, the switch, the ultimate, a substitutionary atonement. He takes our sin, he sacrifices himself, Pays the price and takes that to the throne of God. And we get his righteousness. He represents us perfectly. Last point here of comparison, number six, uh, regarding verse four. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. And again, no one appoints himself as a priest but is chosen by God. We see this, Jesus is the eternal priest that was appointed by God and is God. And he goes on to prove this here. In verse 5, we'll read through probably verse 6. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him. So again, Christ didn't just decide to do this on his own. He was appointed by God. He quotes here, he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Uh, this is God has specifically chosen God, the son, to be the priest. And he's saying that he has been called by God. Verse 6, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek." Now this, this is a big name and is a very important name is a wonderful name, but it's been mentioned just just slightly in the Old Testament. And I don't know of anyone who has named their kid this. Uh, Does anyone know of anyone's kids named that it's a great name though. It has to do with it simply means the king of righteousness. And and the role he plays in the Old Testament is very small. And unless you've really studied your Old Testament here, you probably have not come across this name too often, Melchizedek. But it is very important name, and here the author is going to begin to get into it a little bit, and we're going to look at it more in coming weeks. But if you can, uh, hold your place there and go over to Psalm 110, verse 1 through 4. Psalm 110, 1 through 4. Now, this name is only mentioned a couple of times in Scripture. It's mentioned earlier, originally in Genesis 14, verse 17 through 19, and we're going to talk about that as The author of Hebrews gets more into this later on. But this this priest appears uh, to Abraham, who is the, the king of righteousness. He is a king, but yet he is also a priest. He is prior to the calling of Aaron and his sons. He is prior to God's calling of the Levites. And yet this priest appears in Genesis 14. And and we don't have any background story to him. He simply appears before Abraham. Abraham gives him 10% of everything, which is really important. We're going to find later on because in Abraham, in his loins, all the other priests are represented. Uh, Aaron and the Levites as well. So he submits, you might say, to this high priest. So now uh, the author here is going to use this name and use that story to establish the fact that Jesus, even though he's not a Levite, even though he's not a son of Aaron, he's the son of David, his priestly role is connected prior to those, way back here to this name, Melchizedek. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 1 through 4. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now this is a prophecy that is again pointing forward to this ultimate one that would come who is king and who is also a priest. And look at the last part there, verse 4. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, this is highly significant here because we have one that is announced that is coming that is somehow an eternal priest. Uh, we can't do that. Our priest, the, the Aaron died. His sons died. The other Levitical high priests, they died because we are men, we are mortals, and we died. But here we have one who is coming, who is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Who is that going to be? It is going to be Jesus. And that's what the author of Hebrews is announcing here. So we see this name, this man mentioned in Genesis. Uh, we later see it over here mentioned in Psalm. And it's in a prophecy saying that there is going to be one come who is, who is beyond the priest that we have here, who is the ultimate high priest, who is priest for all of eternity, who exists for all of eternity except God, right? So he is building the case here that this is the one who has come. It is indeed God himself, this Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. All right, let's carry on down to verse seven in Hebrews here, chapter five. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So there's a lot here in this closing part that we're going to look at in this section and in some places, if you look at verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. Uh, If you look at the language on this, it is not that Christ was imperfect and over time became more perfect, but he went from obedience to obedience to obedience to obedience. He fulfilled righteousness. Everything that he was supposed to do, he continued to do. So he was the absolute perfect high priest. He was the absolute perfect sacrifice as well. And if we continue on down to verse eight, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. He became the source, the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Highly significant point of this passage that he is the source. How else can we achieve our salvation? How else can we go to the throne of God? God is holy. We are sinners. How else can we get there? There's only one source. And the point here of chapter five is and the portion in chapter four we looked at is that it has to be this great high priest, one who is the eternal high priest, one that can represent us perfectly. Who is that? It narrows it down to only one. And this is him. This is who he's talking about. There is only one. He became the source of eternal salvation. Highly controversial today, right? Everyone will be OK if if Christians simply believe that we believe Jesus was a source of eternal salvation, but there are other religions and other methodology as well. But here the writer says, but we know to be true that Jesus is the source, the only source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. All right, let's quickly uh, summarize this. The application tonight to take home from this, hopefully you've been following along the whole way, but we have a high priest who is one of us. He is God also. He is sinless. He presents the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He presents himself. He represents us perfectly and is always and forever our priest. We can now come into the presence of God through God who has become our perfect and greater high priest. There is great assurance in this passage, in this chapter, that we have the high priest who has gone in with us on his shoulders, has represented us, has brought the sacrifice to God of himself. He's gone behind the curtain that none of us could. None of us could get there. We would be struck dead on the spot. Aaron's two sons who who came before God in an unholy manner were indeed struck dead on the spot. Well, that would be us. How can we get to God? Uh, We deserve punishment. We deserve eternal punishment. But he takes care of it for us. We come in on his shoulders. Our high priest is God the Son. He takes the sacrifice, presents it, and now we go to him boldly. We can talk to God. We can pray to God. We can worship God like we've been doing tonight. And ultimately and supremely, we know that he takes us into the presence of God as our mortal bodies come to an end. And there is great peace as we begin to look more into the fact that Jesus is our high priest. And we'll look more into it in a couple of weeks as well as it comes back up in the book of Hebrews. Well, let's pray and let's go to the throne boldly with confidence, knowing that our mediator, our high priest has made the way for us. Dear God, we thank you for our salvation that you have provided through Jesus Christ. He is the source of eternal salvation and there is no other. He is the great high priest that you called, that you sent to take care of our sins, to atone for our sins, to pay for our sins, to provide the sacrifice that we could not provide to take us into your presence to all who believe. And I pray, Lord, just as we looked at last week and briefly at the beginning of tonight, I pray that all who are here have truly called upon you and believe in this eternal source of salvation, Jesus. Because it is only through him that we can be saved. We can't represent ourselves. We are sinners. We need someone holy. We need someone who is perfect. And that only one who qualifies is the Son of God who put on flesh, lived as one of us, lived a perfect sinless life, provided the sacrifice in himself and rose from the dead. And it is to him we give all glory and honor. In Jesus' name.